Welcome once again to another episode of Horrorversary. I know you are so confused right now. There's been every single week we have had an episode that's coming out. And guess what? We have probably about two months worth of stuff that's coming out again. So it's weird. I mean, it's weird in the world and it's weird that we have all these episodes and it's taken being out of work for a long period of time, scared about the future to record all these episodes. But guess what? All the people I would absolutely want to have on this show are available now. So it it works out. If this is the first time that you're listening to it, this podcast is explained very simply. Horrorversary is a podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries. Now, I know everybody can make an anniversary out of basically anything that they want to, but we stick to the milestones. We stick to the big ones when it comes to 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. As far back as we basically can, because at any point in history, there's a horror movie that deserves to be championed. Now, lots of times these horror movies can be ones that you've heard of and you know off the tip of your tongue. You know when people are saying, oh, the greatest horror movies of all time, you know the thing is probably going to be on there. But at the same time, you might have a movie that you haven't heard of before or maybe you didn't really give a second chance to. And that's what we like about looking at these movies, especially ones that are just about 10 to 20 years is getting to sit and look at this film and how it's aged and what makes it so special. And then we also like having on guests. And so when it comes to this episode, it's it's weird to think that a decade has passed since this movie came out. And that's, of course, because we are talking about Insidious. Insidious from James Wan. And you look at James Wan a decade ago and you look at where he is now, it's night and day. And when we're getting into Insidious, you're easily going to be able to see where little things are being placed about. But this is James Wan who goes on to make sequels in the Fast and Furious franchise and fucking Aquaman. But if you go back to the beginning and you look here at this film, when it comes to Insidious, there's lots of interesting things he's doing. And that's... No, that's fine. I, I got carried away talking about James Wan because he's had a crazy interesting career. And I know that we will get into that with the special guests that we have tonight. Now, this is a person who I am so excited to talk to. They are going to call me out because we had a moment or a chance to meet earlier this year before the world entirely went into chaos. But I'm getting to talk to them now. So it's making up for it. Hopefully, Those of you out there know the website that this person works for. I'm going to let them get into it because I don't think I can truly do it justice. But please, a big, 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 warm horrorversary welcome to Terry uh, Menard. See, you told me how to say your last (laughs) name and I messed it up. Last week, I got it, or a couple weeks ago, I got it right with Emily Von Sela. No problem whatsoever. And here I've sabotaged myself. So Terry Menard. it's those pesky French, you know, we got to have little S's in our in our names. What can I say? It's like, it's like people who want silent H's. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Hey, how's it going? It's, it's going well. How are you hanging in there? Uh, you know, it's um, it's 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 weird. Uh, I'm working from home, which is odd. And uh, <laughs> I mean, like I'm watching a lot of movies. I'm getting caught up on writing. So, I mean, things are good, but. Wait, it's just you watch so movies weird. and you're getting caught up on stuff. That's I don't, I don't, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've, I'm kind of a hermit as it is, so like, I, I guess there's really not too much difference between now and, and normal life. But that what but yeah. we have to we we have to start off with the fact that you and I'll, I'll let you say your title and everything, and then explain the website. But you write for 
gaily dreadful. And yes. for people who may not be familiar with that, first of all, shame on them. You guys have great <laughs> writing. You have lots of great writers who are coming on. You've got just great content in general. Please let the listening public out there know what the site is. Sure. Well, it's um, it, as you said, it's Gaily Dreadful. I created it a couple years ago, and it's a. It started out as a place for me to host my writing, and it's sen, since kind of blossomed into something a little different. Uh, but we feature um LGBTQ plus uh, writers, and they write. We write about horror. We write about LGBTQ movies, and sometimes when they intersect, like, like I like to say it, we cover all things gay, dreadful, and sometimes gaily dreadful. Um, but yeah, that's my site. And then I also have a, a podcast that, um, I started last October with, uh, a really good friend of mine now, Mary Beth McAndrews, uh, called scarred for life. And we kind of dig into, uh, the movies that traumatized, uh, our guests as kids. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a really fun thing. I, I think, when people come up with ideas, lots of times there, there's that uh, nervousness of, oh, is anybody going to jump into this? And is anybody going to be willing to get on board? And then you talk to a couple people and, and like right away, you mentioned something like that. And it's really easy for people to be like, yes, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about these movies that scarred me, these movies that, that changed my life. And it's the same with – there's people that we've had on this show, in fact, in the past that – the movies, you know, when they started out, they were like, oh, yeah, I saw this at an early age and it really creeped me out. And then I've come to love it over time. Right. And that's and that's basically what we found for most most of the, our guests. Um, and it, it really just started on a lark. Uh, I was on an ambient fueled tweet storm talking about <laughs> uh, arachnophobia, a movie that traumatized me as a kid. And uh, all of a sudden, like everyone started coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, my gosh, that's a good idea. I would want to talk about this. I want to talk about that. And I'm like, well, OK, I guess there is a di- idea here. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, there's always in in horror in particular, there's always that one movie that kind of sticks out to people that like either got them into the movie or into the genre or terrified them or made them stop for a while. It's 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 interesting. It was a fun um, last year at the Alamo here in Kansas City. uh, We were one of the locations that had the Wolfman's Got Nards documentary Mm -hmm. and had Andre Gower here and uh, the producer and writer of it. Uh, who are here doing a Q&A and, you know, they were talking about kind of the history of the film and everything. And we had a discussion about what it is about horror that people latch on to and what keeps it as a stigma. And the overriding thing that we were discussing when it comes to uh, horror and what people latch on is because it's it's outsider art and things that start as being, you know, fearful just like things that might feel weird at some point in your life when you come to accept them and you understand that there's a strength to be found inside it is what what binds you and you're able to you know overcome fears both real and not necessarily real to to help kind of repair you in a way yeah i always i always think about a quote that uh, Wes craven said and i i can't remember it completely off the top of my head but it's not it was something like horror doesn't create fear it releases it yeah. And it's something that I've always I've always subscribed to with this like idea that we watch movies to like contextualize uh, the trauma of the real world, which I think we're seeing a lot now with the this Corona crap going around and everyone's watching like Contagion and all of these like <laughs> pandemic movies. I think it's it's a way for us to kind of like understand and work through our, our traumas in, in various ways. Which I think is great because you're also having lots of people who weren't necessarily uh, horror fans or, or kind of slept on a whole bunch of horror movies that now that they have this time, they're looking for suggestions and they're like, 
I have the chance. I might as well try to give this movie, you know, it, it's due. And oh, I'm watching sure. movies, you know, for decades and decades past are like, wait, this is actually really good. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've been trying to use this time to dig into my big stack of uh, unwatched movies that I get from like Vinegar Syndrome and whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a I think this is a good time to uh, catch up on on the stuff you've been meaning to. And we'll definitely uh, come back to that at the very end of the episode. But I'm going to give you a chance right now, uh, first of all, to say uh, I'm sorry to you and then let you directly <laughs> call me out on, on an incident that happened at, at what I, I'm lovingly able to say is one of the few film festivals that actually happened in 2020. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> I was listening to uh, to your episode with Joe Lipset, and that's when I realized why I didn't see you at Panic Fest. <laughs> And I just started I just started laughing because you were recording um, with him. So my my good friend and writing partner, Joe, is uh, is why we didn't meet technically. It's it's fine. It's fine. I mean, it was I feel bad at the same time, but it was <laughs> like that one was was set a little bit in advance. And then people were like, oh, you need to stay. And I'm like, no, I have a chance to have somebody who once again has has clout, who has, you know, a known podcast is a known writing voice. I need to make sure. And even though they're they're a friend that I know, I'm not going to renege on them. So I, I, <laughs> but I felt bad because like I saw you tweeting. I'm like, wait, he's fucking here. He's here. He's here. Okay, I got to find a way to try to meet up. And, <laughs> and it was like there was a point where you were in movies and I was out of movies and then I was in movies and you were yeah. out of movies. And it was just it's but uh, so before we get into the actual movie, I know this is a long lead in everybody. But you know what? <laughs> we keep the episodes not too long. So indulge us for a couple minutes. And again, like I said, it, this is weird. Here we are, you know, to a peek behind the curtain. This episode's going to come out in several weeks, but we're recording at the beginning of April right now. And all we know is that everything is still shutting down for for months when it comes to theatrical, when it comes to film festivals. Khan says that they're just postponing, but uh, a local Kansas City film festival that said that they were going to postpone for a couple months said, oh, we're just going all digital now online. And that's kind of the state of the world. So literally like Sundance and Panic Fest, maybe like one to two other small ones were the only film festivals uh, that that existed and actually took part this year. So I had to ask, what was your experience like at panic fest? Um, I, I loved it. Um, I, I've, I've covered a lot of, well, not a lot, but I've covered a few festivals remotely, but I've only been to, to two in person. And the first one was, um, two years ago at Telluride. So I don't have a whole lot of experience, but, um, I absolutely enjoyed panic fest. I thought the people were great. I loved the theater. I loved a lot of the, the beers <laughs> that everyone had on tap. Um, <laughs> I love the restaurants nearby. Like it was, a, it was just a great experience all all around. And there was a lot of people that went there, and a lot of people that like I follow on Twitter. A lot of people that like I know tangentially through it. And <laughs> it's kind of nervous for me because I'm 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 very much an introvert. But like at the same time, it was it was really kind of cool to to meet like Rebecca McKendry and and Elric Kane and like see a bunch of people. So um, I thought it was great. I think you guys have a really cool festival and i definitely want to go back again hopefully uh the world will be sane by then yeah I, I know that that adam and tim really want to make sure that it goes on uh next year and and that's that's our intention right now i know that uh, i just did a piece on boom howdy where i did an interview with adam to talk about what the theater's doing right now while things are closed um 
and what their plans were for next year. And, and their goal is to make sure that it happens next year. And it feels Good. like as all these film festivals keep on getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, that that just means you have more submissions for next year. So, yeah, um, that's festivals that's are super important. And yes. I, I so it, it really kind of sucks to see like South by Southwest and like oh. t- and Tribeca where those are like big launching grounds for for mo- for movies that are trying to come out and i just i feel really bad about filmmakers that have put so much time and effort into it and then to see like everything just sort of implode it's just it's not good for anyone no also what's not good for anyone is uh is living in a haunted house so that's that's my terrible (laughs) attempt at a segue um of course like i said the movie that we're talking about this week is insidious uh from 2010 it's a staggering film when you look at the box off returns and the fact that it was made for like around a little over $1.5 million and grosses $99 million at the box yeah. office. Um, so for you people who are listening in for the first time and just as a refresher for everyone, we keep things as simple as possible here. We have a simple name. We have a simple mission statement. We have a simple layout when it comes to everything. Every single guest who comes on the show is asked five basic questions. Once we ask those questions, as we work through each one, we kind of see where the conversation goes, what we can get into. Now, with that said, this is going to end up being a spoiler-filled podcast. Once we ask the second question, we'll end up having a pause so that if you haven't seen the movie, you can pause and go and watch it. Then when we come back, you can listen because we really have to get into the nitty-gritty of what it is that makes these film special and the only way to do that is to strip away all the artifice talk about everything in the film so the very first question we have terry is do you remember the first time that you saw this film oh boy do i um (laughs) i i can't really go too in depth into it yet because um it involves um kind of a slight spoiler and i i don't know how how spoiler adverse you you want to be in this beginning part at the beginning we'll try to to yeah we can so I, I miss this movie in, in this movie in theaters because I um, have for a couple of reasons. One, it was like a time when I was in the PG-13 movies suck kind of mindset, which mm-hmm. now it's like I, I, I abhor that mindset. But like at the time, you know, I was younger. I was dumber. Um, and the poster looked kind of silly. It looked like another kind of creepy kid movie. And that the tagline of like insidious is just uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't doing anything for me. But um, people kept talking about it and they were talking about it and it kept coming up. And I heard it was scary, so I bought it on Blu-ray, cranked up the sound, turned off the lights, and then there's one moment, which we will get to eventually, <laughs> that um, I completely jumped out of my chair, I screamed, my two cats went running, and they hid for the rest of the night. That's that's understandable. It, it is a film that, sonically, I forgot how good both the sound design and then the music itself is. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's working on such a on such there's like it it just churns with this tension throughout most of the movie and the the sound design is so interesting and the imagery in it is so interesting. It's just this like perfect mix of audio and visual that just really got under my skin. Now, how many times would you say you've seen this movie overall? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know, maybe half a dozen. Um <laughs> Maybe a little bit more because of rewatching it. I rewatched it twice for this podcast because I like to once kind of experience it and then another time to like take notes and stuff. Um, so I, I probably um, seven or eight times, I would say. 
That, and that's the interesting thing when you when you talk to lots of the people. I, I mean, for a film that's like forty years old, it, it's all it's not that surprising if somebody's like, "Yeah, I've seen it twelve times." It's like, well, yeah, mm. it's, it's been out that long. But for these films that are only like ten years back, there's most of the answers that I've been getting is people are like, "Oh, I've seen it like six or seven times." And you think yeah. of six or seven times when a film's only been out for ten years says a lot about how much people like that film. Right. Well, and the other thing is, is that like, I'm kind of um, when I get in, as I think a lot of horror fans are, once a sequel comes out, you want to go back and revisit the movies leading up to that, that yeah. point. So we've had four of these movies. So I probably watched it at least four times just because of that. Well, but, the second question, um, so one that trips people up. So I, I, uh, several episodes back, I decided to tweak the way the wording was, because unfortunately, when I didn't pay attention to what my wording was, people accidentally put a couple spoilers in their description. So I, I, I listened to you, the one with Stephanie where it, oh, where it went a little. <laughs> but, it, so, but it wasn't it wasn't just uh, the Stephanie Crawford episode. It was right. also the the one before that with uh, with Patty Murphy. He did the same thing, and I was like, no, I gotta put a stop to this. Um, so what I'm gonna ask you is, in as few words as possible. Can you please describe the synopsis for Insidious? Sure. Um, I have two that I can give you. Uh, okay. One that's 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 helpful, and another one that is really short. Um, <laughs> so, in, <laughs> Insidious is about the Lambert family, parents Josh and Renee, and their three kids Dalton, Foster, and a baby named Callie. They've recently moved into a house where odd things start happening. Books have been thrown on the floor. Things are moving, disappearing. Strange sounds at night, basically your typical haunted house movie. And then after an incident in the attic, Dalton falls into a coma and the weird events start increasing. And as the Lamberts search for ways to help their child, they start to realize that maybe it's not the house that's haunted. That would be my one. And then my very short synopsis would be Insidious is the poltergeist remake you didn't know you needed. Yes, yes, that is absolutely perfect. And before I even start my thoughts on that... I'm going to give the moment right here to pause for you people who haven't seen the film. And that's it. That that's You had a chance to literally pause. And if you did not pause, <laughs> you're kind of being thrown to the wolves now. But Which you should. You should go watch this immediately. You should, you it's, on, it's on Netflix. If for some reason you still didn't pay attention to the pause, it's on Netflix. As uh, Terry and I were discussing before we started recording, uh, the second one is on Crackle. Which means this is only the second time in probably the last decade that someone has found a use for Crackle. Uh, that's fair. And I, I, I say the second because I think they put the sequel to Joe Dirt on there for some reason. So really curious. Oh, they did, didn't they? Watch yeah. that. So yeah, Crackle. They they find a way to stay around. I don't I don't know how they did it, but they do it. Um, but your your description there, I think, is probably uh, one of the best describers you could say for this film and saying that it's a poltergeist remake that you never knew you needed and because we saw it and i'm guessing you weren't a fan of the 2015 version i actually never saw it um you're you're okay then then. (laughs) i I figured i hold poltergeist in such esteem like it's it's one of those movies that i was a a childhood favorite Mm -hmm. that like i was i was i'm all i'm not I'm not like a, a lot of horror fans where I'm not adverse to remakes. Um, <laughs> in fact, some remakes I think are are really, 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 really goddamn good. But the more I heard about Poltergeist, um, the less I was interested in seeing it. So I just never bothered. Speaking of sequels, uh, for you people who are listening to this, you'll want to go 
back a couple episodes but for terry because of when he's recording this episode you will want to see the listen to the episode that comes out tomorrow in which we have matt donato talking about piranha 3d oh geez so you you want to talk about that that's why i was glad to be doing this one i was like oh here's these two horror movies that definitely have you know uh, kind of tenuous grasp to these other films and getting to see how things have changed over the decades when people are are doing them and this film for it being in 2010 definitely has for the most part an old school feel to it it does um except it's very weird (laughs) yes it's a very weird movie like i I, it's it's weird it's kind of weird to me to think that like uh, James Wan and did this movie in in 2010, and then three years later it comes out with what is really a classical ghost story with yeah. uh with um The Conjuring, and this movie is def- definitely feels like it's it's um operating in like the same realm as as Poltergeist and a lot of the like old school uh, jump scare type ghost stories, but it's it's very odd. <laughs> would you would you oh, this is going to seem like probably the worst um, comparison I can make. But would you say this is a new world's version of Poltergeist? You know what? I would. Okay. I would say that. Yes. See, we're on the same wavelength. And for those of you who who don't know out there, definitely just look up new world pictures online and you'll, you'll understand it's taking something that everybody knows in the variation of Poltergeist and then adding both a, a cheapness and then a very weird factor that probably has no right being in there, but is what <laughs> makes the film extra memorable to you. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing else to say to that. I'm, yeah. I'm cool. Uh, so <laughs> the third question we have really starts to get into the nitty gritty of the, these films. And it's something that I always like asking people because sometimes you think, you know, where someone's going to go and then they take uh, a left turn, but is there a signature uh, moment or scene that specifically stays with you and has kind of been possibly the impetus of what brings you back to Insidious? I mean, it's just it's full of iconic moments for me. Um, the first uh, I, I mentioned it in the in the intro, but the the first time that I saw this, there is a moment at the very end of the first act where. Um, Rose Byrne's character, uh, Renee is in bed and she wakes up from a dream and like, she sees this man walking outside her window, (laughs) just walking back and forth and back and forth. And I'm already like on edge of my seat at this point because the first act is really, I think a masterclass building tension for, Mm -hmm. for 30 whole minutes. And he's walking back and forth and back and forth. And then all of a sudden he's walking out of the shadows into the room where he like lunges at her. And I'm like, no, this this cannot be. And that's when my 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 cats like literally freaked out and went hiding because I I screamed. Um, there's only been a few times where I've screened at a movie and this was this was one of them. So I think that's like the first thing that pops out of my head. But honestly, there's there's so many from the red faced demon to the weird seance. Um, the the demon behind in the towards the beginning of the or the middle of the first act like there's just so much i what i really loved watching uh it this time and it's very much a film that when you kind of watch it the first time you're you're waiting for the jump scares you're waiting for those moments to scare you but as you Mm -hmm. go back and watch it you're you're noticing all the technical aspects you're noticing all the details that are in the background and it was very much the sound that caught me this time that they're the way it's using 
silent or, or quiet isn't just the normal we're going to be quiet because we're having a jump scare that's happening in three two one boom now the strings hit that it's it's very much to set the mood and very much to have that dread sink in because it might be a minute or two until there's whatever type of scare that there is and lots of times with those scares it's not just a jump that sometimes it's something lingering it's something moving to to amp up that eeriness and that dread and then noticing how desaturated the majority of the movie is to add that uneasy feeling yes and that's um i'm glad you bring that up because that's something that i think james wan is really talented at is um working with absence not necessarily Mm -hmm. just sound but also with 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 color he uses shadows so effectively i was thinking in this in this movie um back to his his first movie it was saw (laughs) where there's the the scene in the in the apartment and it's like all black and the only thing that's illuminating it is is a flash bulb from a from an old school camera and i think about that with 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 this scene where with with this entire movie where everything is is drenched in, in in shades of black or absence of sound, and he's he's very good at using that really effectively. I always I always find. I always think that it pairs well with Lee Winnell, and uh, we've really had a chance over the last couple of years to see what Lee Winnell can bring to the table with, you know, the Invisible Man this year, and mm-hmm. then upgrade a couple of years upgrade, later. Upgrade, yeah. I'll admit that this was my wife's first time watching the film and she like half the human populace right now is playing animal crossing and oh yeah she, same <laughs> she was playing animal crossing and and was looking up within the first like five minutes of the film and goes this just started didn't it and i go yeah and she goes it's already really weird and i go yeah that's lee winnell he doesn't really care he sets you right into it and, and she was like what else did he did and that's what i mentioned you know the invisible man and upgrade and she's like yeah he really does just start right away he does and that's something that's really effective with this movie because this movie really has three different um the act the three acts are very different from each other and i love the the thing that always catches me um off guard in this movie is the way it starts with this really kind of creepy pan over this kid in bed and the (laughs) the old lady holding a candle and then you get insidious blasting on the screen with like this really loud you know screeching violins and it's just it's it's gothic in this like presentation of the beginning where it's like mixing gothic uh like hammer sensibilities with more modern uh homes right so it's like it's and it just goes from there he doesn't he doesn't wait for the typical like if you compare this to The Conjuring, you know, you get the typical move in with the family and everything is hunky dory, maybe a little weird. And as it, it kind of slowly creeps up. But no, he starts page one. We're in the thick of it. It's mm-hmm. it's like it's kind of like I kind of think that maybe this movie was like them putting everything together because their last two movies flopped. And so it was like this is this has to be our make it or break it. And so they just sort of go for the throat, which which I, I think works. And I mean, it's one of the one of only two films where you can say horror movie and uh, tiny Tim. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that song is iconic. And I love that, um, that it's tiny Tim from blood harvest and exactly. tiptoe through the tulips. Uh, yeah, that, that song is just, it's so weird, but it, <laughs> it's like what part of the movie that, that just like really works for me is just how, how odd and how, available it is to to like be odd you know (laughs) 
like I, it's not afraid to embrace that weirdness yeah i i think the whole movie does that is is it sets you up with something that you know for the most part when it comes to some form of of haunted house uh story or some type of you know ghostly evil and then it starts both expanding uh, upon it and flipping it in a way that you're not expecting and just as you start to get settled again in that second act it goes even more of a loop once we get into the further and which i definitely think we have to single out since neither one of us chose it in in the memorable moments even though it's definitely something that people it, it sticks in their mind so much to the point that the second movie just goes wild with the further oh yes it does uh gotta love the second movie with its its bonkers approach to uh to being kind of a prequel and sequel and at the same time cool <laughs> and and also making literal sense but then also feeling uh strange to a point where you go is is this problematic or is the way that the story's yeah. treating it is technically okay because they're commenting on it and they're commenting on it being problematic? Yeah, uh, it, it's something that um, I struggle with, but um, it's it I, it makes for quite an unsettling viewing to me, exactly. to be honest. Uh, thank you for saying that at least because I needed somebody's opinion. <laughs> yeah, to, to to back that up because it's it's something that it's like I kind of love that they go in that direction, even though I feel weird that they go in that direction right yeah (laughs) if you haven't seen if you haven't seen the second one like i said crackle has it uh dive in uh don't be expecting exactly what you get out of this film but it's different but what do you think about the presentation about the further in this specific film um you know i think uh i think part of it was probably down to budget but i think it works for it um because I mean, basically, most of the further is either in, in in smoky blackness or in the their original house, um, for the most part. But like, I I love the moments where it's almost like still life framed images of like an event playing out that played out at one point in time. There's the the kind of like family unit that's sitting on a couch, and the the mom who's played by a man, by the way, is like ironing. Yes. And then there's a girl in the other room, like loading up a shotgun and before you know it she shot them but you don't see it you just see all the still frames of her there with this like joker-esque smile on her face that's like it's unsettling it it feels like a haunted house version of david lynch's rabbits oh yeah yeah that that's how far down the rabbit hole i'm gonna go there yeah i can see that (laughs) (laughs) which which i was i wondered uh Knowing the fact that it was Blumhouse and how Universal, you know, ends up being involved with Blood uh, Blumhouse, that they actually did have a Halloween Horror Nights of uh, right. Insidious, and I was like, because when I was watching that, I was like, oh man, this would be the greatest haunted house. It's like to not necessarily have to have all the action, but just have the eeriness and seeing this and being like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right or safe. To so to see that they actually did that, you know, they they cashed in in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in the, I, and I love the where where it ends up in the in the further with the very like red room and the demon that makes I don't really know what he is, but he just has a red face and he's sort of like reminds me a little bit of Darth Maul maybe from Star <laughs> Wars. But he's he's creepy and he's just like 
he has this clot hand that he's sharpening and the kid is like, I'm like, what is going on here? And that's something I, I appreciate about the film is that it doesn't, it doesn't really give you a lot of answers. And I know a lot of, there's, there's some people that, that love the film up until the further and they think yeah. it gets too weird, but I, that's where it like gives all the payoff in, in, for me. Well, let's, let's dig into this because I'm very interested to see where, what your opinion is. So we, for the majority of the movie, we're led to believe, you know, that we've got this red faced demon um, who's getting in. And of course, demons want to try to get a hold of the body to cause as much pain as possible. Now mm-hmm. we can look at that from one aspect, but the very first shot of the film that we have is uh, the younger version of Josh, uh, Patrick Wilson's character when he's a kid in bed and the old lady, which I'm still going to call her an old lady. We won't get into anything else. <laughs> Um, but the lady in black is there at the window with the candle and everything. And of course she comes into the, the later part of the film, the way I read this and I could be wrong in it. So I want to see what your feeling is, but I always felt that the red faced demon is a misdirect and he's there causing trouble because he likes to cause people pain. And by causing these people to, to have this experience where they feel like they're losing their mind and they can't protect their child, that it's causing them pain. But that, in some way, the the lady in black kind of set up this deal with the red-faced demon um, to lure Josh in there so that she could take over. Because that's the end game, and that's how we get that wonderful, crazy twist ending of the film where the lady in black has taken over him. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely um, a long con from her perspective. Because the because the demon, um, we get that whole like three month later jump, and we have Elise make the comments about you know when the body's weak is when they take over, and when you're thinking about it, you're like three months has gone by, so the demon should have been able to jump in there whenever he wanted. Right. Yeah. No. He's he definitely I think enjoys kind of tormenting them and i I think i I think you can kind of see that through the the setup of the first act where you have um renee just struggling with she keeps seeing all this stuff and her husband who's kind of an asshole if you really want to think about it he doesn't he's he's patrick wilson okay (laughs) he is but this is something i i realized this this time watching is just how focused on his like age he is yeah like he's pulling out his gray hair um, in the beginning of the movie while she's running around trying to wrangle three crying kids and dealing with getting her phone switched. So he's he's pulling out a gray hair there. There's a scene later on where he's like rubbing um, like uh, lotion on his eyes to get yeah. rid of the wrinkle marks. He's not there. He's never he's he's at one point he's physically not there because he's staying late at the school because he's terrified. But he's just he's kind of that absent father that reminded me. He reminded me a whole lot of, and this is why I first started thinking about this, um, in terms of like the the poltergeist dad, who's like kind of placating his wife into thinking that you know, yeah, okay, we'll 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 do this to try to help out, but like <laughs> isn't really there, except in this in this movie he is the one that goes into the demon world and saves the kid, but <laughs> just like yeah, sure, let's do that. You you made a good point. You sacrificed a, a lot, so now I'll I'll jump in with you. I love that. He's like, don't believe you. I move for you. <laughs> Which is also kind of douchey in a way. Really douchey. Oh. And I, I, I do think it's interesting. That, that was the one thing I really liked about the second act is that in a lot of horror movies, there's a reason why the, the parents will end up staying in the house. And in this oh. case, they're like, no, we're moving. 
and it doesn't it doesn't end there. And I also appreciated the little the little kind of detail that they've moved to a leased house and it's a lot smaller than their other house. So it's like you can kind of see the the money issue kind of slowly crushing them from having a kid in a coma and probably not selling that that other house. And that there's a there's a chance. I mean, we don't know a lot about her, but there's a chance that uh, that Josh's mom may have helped out in some way since she's there now. She wasn't helping them move into the old place, but she she's here helping them. Right. And it feels like they've also moved closer to wherever she might be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and I I also think that we're kind of talking around the other important character of here, but Lynn Shay is back as freaking Elise, and I love that. This movie kind of gave her a franchise. And she's she's so wonderful in it because, of course, w- when you're going to have a film that's doing uh, a poltergeist or haunted house type thing, everybody's always going to think of Zelda. There's right. no way around it. Right. Even if you haven't seen the film, you still know about Zelda. You know this about house the is line. clean. Exactly. So to have Lin Shay have as much of a commanding performance but not have to go over the top or anything like that. I mean, the most over the top that she goes is by putting on the gas mask contraption. And that's not even her fault. No, but it's so weird. <laughs> it's it's like where like the weirdness of the movie starts to really kind of like hit home that yeah, yeah we're we're not playing by the, the normal rules. We're gonna not have a normal seance. We're gonna have a seance with a freaking gas mask where a guy has to like ha- listen to it on the headphones and write down things. Like it's it's so it's so ridiculous and awesome at the same time. And I also love that when you go back and watch the movie the first time that you see everything that Specs is writing on the page and it starts to get angrier and angrier. You're like, oh no, it's the red faced demon who's who's saying it. But then you find out by the end of the movie that nope. It's the lady in black who's yep. just has this huge vendetta against Elise. Right. For for saving the kid from her in the beginning. Yeah, that she's been like harboring this anger for the longest time. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's a that's a really kind of a crazy scene, honestly. Well, we've been talking about the films later in the series, so we can we can jump into that if you'd like, because the, the next question that we always ask everybody is if they can think of any uh, contemporary or modern films that feel like this movie and what Insidious does better than those films or what those films might do better than Insidious. Now, we've hit upon the most obvious ones in that this is a, a franchise that has a total of four films, I believe, at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and then you had the Poltergeist remake that was in 2015. But are there any other films that have come out in the last like 15, 20 years that that kind of are working on that wavelength as Insidious? We can stay away from probably Conjuring since it's also James Wan. Um, so it, it, it feels like it's too easy pickings right there. Yeah, you know, it was I, I knew you were going to ask this question. And so I was <laughs> I've been thinking and I honestly I, I, I really couldn't come up with any um, to be perfectly honest that I mean, you could go for the easy answer and say pretty, pretty much any ghost movie that's been released in the last 10 years mm-hmm. has has been um, influenced either by this movie or James Wan's other movie, The Conjuring. Um, but like this movie is so off kilter that I, I really struggled trying to think of something. But the one movie that kind of pops in my head, and again, I'm not comparing it in terms of quality, but the Netflix movie Eli. Have you seen oh, it? Oh, I I haven't. I heard what everybody was talking about it, and I I was like, oh, I'm I'm gonna wait for a little bit because I might be completely different than everybody else here. But when it comes to a Netflix movie, if I don't try to see it right away, I'm gonna wait a couple months 
for that yeah. fervor to die down. Because it doesn't matter if it's Tiger King, if it's Eli, if it's uh, Extraction, the Chris Hemsworth movie that's about to come out. It doesn't matter what it is. If something hits Netflix and you don't make a point to watch it right away when it comes out, then you're going to get lost in everyone else talking about it. And kind of the best thing to do is to tune it out. Unfortunately, Netflix, like earlier today, I had a little thing that popped on my phone that said, check out the the 53 new titles coming to Netflix in the next week. And I was like, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So if you miss something like Eli, it's like six months later that you're recording a podcast with someone and they say, hey, have you watched Eli? And all of a sudden your brain says, fuck, I never watched Eli. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same way with uh, that one. What movie came out? Gosh, it was a uh, kind of oh, Velvet Buzzsaw that came out. I still haven't seen that from last year because um, like I missed it when it when it first came out, and then everyone was talking about it, and I just sort of stopped, didn't watch it, and now it's <laughs> a year later, and I still haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I this is definitely not a call to go go out and watch Eli right now. But I, I bring it up because it. It's a movie that kind of defies expectations about what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie where all three acts are a little bit different. And the third act is just uh, batshit on another level. Like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to how to explain it. There's a movie that like I'm watching like this movie is OK. And then it gets to the third act. And I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe this is happening. What am I watching? This is glorious trash. Those those are the, those are the best. That kind of reminds me, in a way, of uh, again another different film, but uh, the boy. Oh yeah, and that it was the same way. That's like oh, we've got the creepiness factor, it, it, we've got you know the haunting and the weirdness, and then it's like oh, here's the third act. It's not what you were expecting at all. Things have right. just gone off the rails because we're crazy people. Right. Well, and what I like to to say about uh, Eli to kind of sell it is that it's by the director of Sinister 2 and (laughs) it's by uh, a writer of Cheap Thrills and the writing duo that did the autopsy of Jane Doe. That's that's just like throwing several horror movies into a blender right there. Yes. And that's how this movie feels. No, there is none. That's how this movie feels. But it's... um, it's it just it kind of this the only movie that I could think of that even tangentially could relate to to Insidious because it's a ghost story in parts but it's also not and where it ends up is completely different from where it starts and it also operates on some of the kind of like gothic feel of um kind of like it, it brings to mind some of like the Hammer uh, horror films so I mean again. I would not put it in in this in any league of Insidious, but it also is a, a batshit movie. And this has been really interesting because um, th- the last couple episodes we've had have kind of touched upon this. Now, when you do the big tentpole movies, when, when you're doing like a Halloween or films that every single person knows and, and will agree upon being, you know, some of the best movies of all time, it's really easy for them to find con- contemporary films that kind of feed off that energy or the fact that people love those films, sometimes maybe rip them off. Uh, but when you get into films like within the last 10 years or, or are focusing on a specific niche that it's a lot harder to to find comparisons. I mean, it was the same way when we were talking about uh, Piranha 3D or even Bride of Reanimator recently that with those being horror comedies, it was really hard to find other horror comedies where people weren't. Uh, pushing one element over the other, uh, sacrificing the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of feels like the same way 
for something like this. James Wan and Lee Winnell definitely know the type of film that they're making, and they know that by subverting your expectations and what you think a haunted house film is going to be, it allows them to go crazier because you're more surprised and you're willing to go on to the ride as opposed to um, a film that that's trying to be more in your face about the fact that it's, it's bucking this trend. Right. And, and I think that's why it's kind of difficult to find something that fits that because they're, they're almost more respectful to the genre that they're twisting as opposed to thumbing their nose directly at it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that once you have a movie that understands the genre so perfectly and is able to do that twisting, like you mentioned and, and kind of buck the trends, um, I, you don't really see any other movie that can really, really do that. And a lot of times they will just take one aspect of it. Like maybe they'll just go with the astral projection or maybe they'll just go with the ghost story or a haunting of a creepy kid or something like that. They won't be able to pull it off in a, in a way that, that someone that I think is kind of an auteur is able to do it. Now, would you say in a way that might be more of a, a studio problem or the fact that that people are feeling that they have to one up uh, something that's already been done that kind of holds it back? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I don't know, because there's a, I, I do think that there is a lot of indie films operating um, in, in a space of really unique and avant garde um, themes, whereas you know, uh, big studio pictures don't typically do that, but, um, I don't, I don't know. I really, I really don't. I mean, it's, it's difficult because you could kind of tell nowadays when certain, when certain studios put out certain movies that, you know, that, Oh, this is going to, they're trying to cash in on, you know, whatever the current wave is. And you can always tell when there's certain indie studios that try that are being like, Oh, we know this, this type of thing's popular. We want to have that be at the forefront of our movie. And I think that hurts, some smaller indie movies um, because of the fact that they're just trying to make a film and people are wanting to put them, you know, in, in, in a certain quarter to try to fit. Uh, but I, I also at the same time feel like we're this as terrible as this sounds and everyone can strike me down if they want, but mm. um, as terrible as the pandemic is for the people who are stuck at home, this is probably one of the best times to be, stuck at home and watch entertainment because there's so many movies that are coming out on the streaming services, but then there's so many movies that were going to film festivals that people didn't get to see in the theater that have been hitting VOD for the last couple of months that are all of a sudden going to find this new life because people are, are starved for content. And so they're looking for new things. And so they're giving these films a chance. And so these directors, as they grow, will kind of have, you know, uh, a new fan base that they might not have had that if people had not been in this situation. So like I said, I know that's terrible, but at the same time, had this been like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, it would have just people been people recycling and suggesting the same thing instead of being like, Hey, there's all these films for you to see that you didn't even realize have been coming out for the last couple of years that, that are just sitting and waiting for you on VOD. Yeah. Um, excuse me. When, uh, it, Towards the end of last year on my, on my podcast, we kind of did a, a best of the decade and, and we kind of talked about the changes in, in the last, in the last decade and the rise of, of streaming services and the rise of VOD being not a pejorative term, um, is like it, it, there's so much content right now that yes, I'm, I'm really, trust me, I'm really sad that, um, we're not going to be seeing Candyman or, you know, any of these other movies when we're supposed to 
but there are so many really great indie films that are just waiting to be discovered right now. It's 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 weird and that it took something like this, you know, for to see certain movies that are, you know, rising up the charts when it comes to like rentals and stuff like that, but it's mm-hmm. nice that these voices are being able to be heard because that's well, we talked about, you know, how exciting it was for Panic Fest to happen this year. You you didn't have South by, you know, you're you're not having Telluride that that you've been to, you know, you're probably not going to have that. You're you're not having something like cons. You're you're not going to have something like Overlook. You're not going to have something uh, like the Chattanooga that Chattanooga, I was planning on going to Fantasia. Um, yeah. Um, even something like TIFF. You know, I, I know that's later in the year, but as we keep on seeing everything fall off, it feels like at some point they're going to be like, yeah, stuff that's in August, September, you're gone to just to be safe. Even if everything's yeah. open, we're just not going to have a chance of having everybody in a place. And, and there's so many up and coming filmmakers that that's their chance. That's their opportunity to put a movie out that somebody writes about there and somebody who, who loves bloody disgusting or dread central and sees a review. And it's like, I have to write this film down because of this good review that it has that for, for as many people out there like, Oh, critics, you know, they're, they're jaded. They're, they're terrible. Their opinions are dumb. Trust me, if you saw a couple hundred movies a year, your views are going to be skewed too. But at the same oh, time, absolutely. It, it's so important for these smaller films that if you have one person who's championing them from any site, it, it gives that film a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of what has been my kind of goal over the last year is that, yeah, I, I write negative reviews. I, I don't like doing it, but I do it. But like I would much rather champion um, films that I think people should watch over trashing other films. I mean, again, I have written I'm not like a person that hasn't that, that will refuse to write a, a review if it's negative. But I do find myself really trying to um, boost up films that you might not have otherwise heard of or seen because I think. There's just so many of them out there that um, like, well, like Netflix, you're just talking about how like it's dropping 53 pieces of content over the next few weeks or whatever. And there's just there's so much that it's it's I think I think a good critic can really help kind of cut the way the shaft and give you like the the movies that. Yep, this is the one you really need to see. And while I did mention that this movie is made by Blumhouse and Blumhouse is, you know, nowadays they're all over the place. They're making films all over Wazoo. They are connected 100% with, with universal. But when this film comes out again, this movie is considered an indie. It was made for a little over $1.5 million. It was Blumhouse through film district who put it out. So it wasn't like this was a film that everybody was expecting to blow off the doors. You know, it wasn't, it didn't have like, there's people out there who want to see Candyman who don't know anything about the original Candyman, and because of the fact that they they saw the trailer because the trailer was put out through Universal, and they mentioned that Jordan Peele is one of the producers and a co-writer mm-hmm. on the film, and that's why people want to see that one. You didn't if you had the Insidious trailer when it first came out, people said, "Oh, it's PG-13 and it looks scary. I want to check it out," and so that's why I've been talking so much about Indies because I I think that with where this series ends up going. And the fact that it, you know, ends up being four films and the studios just becoming bigger as each film's getting made, that that we don't think of it as an indie nowadays. But it very much was an indie film when it was being made. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, just from, you know, Blumhouse back in the in the day, and I mean, they still are to, and to some degree. Uh, indep- they, uh, I mean, guess not with their producing with like Universal a lot more, but like <laughs> they, you know, they, they were the kind of kings of making a movie for a million, a million five, and then releasing them and championing them. Um, so I, I, yeah. And, and, in a lot of world and nowadays 1.5 million for a horror movie does seem like a lot for an indie, for an independent film, but like, yeah, I, it's, they, they were, they had that kind of indie heart, um, beating and I, they still do that to some degree, but like, yeah. like you said, uh, they're sort of all over the place now. I mean, you get the, inv- the invisible man and then you also get fantasy Island. I'm sorry. Blumhouse is fantasy Island. Um, wait, that's, like we we reference Fantasy Island, so that's yeah, that's the point we are in the episode. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, T- talk about films that studios would probably rather didn't get released in theaters this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I th- I think that everybody's like, oh no, all these movies are going to be pushed back. But hey, one of the last films I saw in the theater was Fantasy Island. There you go. And that's 2020. That, oh God, <laughs> in 2020, Fantasy Island, Fantasy Island, a film that wasn't, uh, that didn't have critic screenings and wasn't available in most major cities for midnight showings. Yep. That's, have you? That, did you see it? We're not going to talk about it. Okay, I haven't. So, so we'll, <laughs> All right. let, let's let's put it this way: in like two days from now, it'll be released on VOD. So, yes, it will. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm one of the people who gets to go down saying that uh, one of the last film or the last film that I saw in theaters was Bloodshot. Oh, OK. And I saw it in the morning that uh, I saw it Monday morning after it came out. Only for that later that afternoon for there to be rumblings that, hey, um, theaters are going to be shutting down later today. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is this is what happens when I pay a couple dollars to go see a Vin Diesel <laughs> film. That is not Fast and the Furious. So what I'm hearing is it's your fault that, that theaters are closing. Basically. basically. All right. All right. Um, I mean, I did used to work for AMC back in the day, and there's rumblings that they might be going bankrupt. So. Oh, really? It all it all <laughs> goes around. Yeah. Um, I do feel like before we get to the very end of things that we have to definitely give a special shout out to the acting in the film. And while we have mentioned uh, Lynn Shay and how great she is, I, I think that by having people like Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson as the leads, and then, of course, even to another level, Barbara Hershey in it, raises yeah. this movie up. Because I feel that both Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson are two uh, actors who don't really get enough credit because, I, I mean, th- th- this is what I wrote down, just to let people know. You've got Rose Byrne, who's in this, and she's also in Spy, and she's also in Get Him to the Greek. And then you've got Patrick Wilson, who's in this, He's in in the tall grass, and he was the bad guy in Aquaman. And if that doesn't show you the weird range that these actors have, and are willing to just go as far over the top or be completely reserved in a film, that it, it feels like I don't think they're in enough things. And so, having a film be as small as this is, and them to to bring the the commitment levels that they do, is what helps elevate everything around it. Absolutely. Uh, Rose Byrne, um, I wrote down so many notes about how believable and how much I just wanted to like reach out and give her a hug because she is terrorized through 
the majority of this of this movie and no one believes her. Um, and she thinks that she's kind of going crazy because she sees this this man who is creepy as hell and ends up licking her face towards the end of the movie, <laughs> like just showing up in random places and no one else. No one else sees it. And. It it starts off even from the very beginning with her finding her books knocked on the floor. Like yeah. she just the 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 emotional range she has to go through in this is fantastic. And when you consider that, I I believe I read that it was only filmed in three weeks. Oh wow! So you, you consider that most that they probably didn't have a whole lot of time to continually reshoot things. So like I I just think that that kind of speaks to their craft in this movie. Um, a question that you might shoot me over, but, uh, Rose Byrne or Joe Beth Williams. Um, it's difficult because they both carry those films on their back. Isn't it? They do. Um, yeah, gosh, you know, I'm going to have to go with Joe Beth only because her character gets more to do, um, towards the end of the movie. Cause she gets to be the kind of hero that saves her daughter. And, yeah. And she gets, she, and she gets that shout. She gets that shout. Yes. And I think Rose Byrne, unfortunately, I think her character kind of gets sidelined for more of the um, uh, Patrick Wilson's characters uh, past um, by the end of the movie. But if if we were just judging it on like the first mm, two thirds of the movie or maybe, you know, like a little over 50 percent of the movie, uh-huh. I, I got to go with Rose. But yeah, but she's she, she's so good in it. And, and I. I bring that up just to, to, you know, point out how great she is. But then it, it's such a difficult thing because it's a role that lots of people could go over the top when it comes to weeping. And I think you put it perfectly when you mentioned how believable she's making the character and that you're in that moment with her and that you feel for her. And so it, it strengthened the, that bond. Like when she's just sitting by the side of Dalton's bed, you know, when the nurse is there and even the nurse who spent, you know, just a little bit of time with him is like, well, you know, he's got a he's got a kick ass mom, so you know, yeah, everything's it, gonna be okay. I'm glad you bring that that scene up because it 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 is the quiet moments too that you really can see um, her strength as an as an actress because there's the point before that where the nurse is showing her how to insert the feeding tube and you can just sort of see this like worry, but also kind of this um, gosh, this is gonna be my life, yeah. Um, for who knows how long and it's kind of that resignedness and then she later she says that that she thinks that that she thinks that the that like uh the world is trying to see how far she can bend before she breaks and it's these little quiet moments with her that i think really also kind of brings the dichotomy to the the more panicked screaming um matches that she ends up going into it's just it's it's really well done so that brings us perfectly to the final question which is having seen this movie again recently do you still think it's worthy of the reverence that people have towards it or do you think that that it's you know kind of slowly fading away and being wiped off by the passage of time um i i don't think so i mean i i i think this movie is is fantastic i think it deserves to be um lauded i think because of the simple fact that it relaunched Lewinell's career and James Wan's career and gave a, a new generation Lynn Shea. Um, I, th- I think the fact that it's still 
intense and I still jumped at some points and I, <laughs> I still was noticing some things like and there's a moment in the second act where she's walking through the house and it's before you realize that the, that the second house is haunted and there's like the kid is standing in the corner and you don't yep. notice him. It's not it's not played up at all. It's just it's there. And if you see it, you go, oh, shit. And if you don't, then you completely miss it. But like there's all these little tiny moments in it that I think I think this is I think this will end up being a classic. And if it's not, then I, I think I think people are missing out. OK, um, last point blank shotgun question for you. The Conjuring or Insidious? Insidious. <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I, the conjuring I think has some really, really, truly effective sequences in it. Um, I think it's a little long. Um, I think it, it kind of drags a little bit towards the end. Um, and I think the sequel, it just kind of compounds that by going even longer. Um, so for my, for my money, um, I think the hour and 40 minutes of, of this, Bad shit insane movie is is where I'd, I'd would much rather spend uh my friday night to be perfectly honest no i i mean i like that i think you're gonna hear you would hear most people traditionally choose something just you know like the conjuring or most people are going to side with it yeah because of how much uh bigger the budget is that it's rated r you know um mm-hmm. d- just everything that's that's inside it it's whereas, very classy it is, and I, I like it, and it's really well done, and it's got Lily Taylor, and you're not going to tell me no to see Lily Taylor in a film, because that's that person I am, because yes, I did see The Haunting in theaters, so. <laughs> me <I'm>, too. <laughs> so, you know, that's why I would go with that. But yeah, Insidious, I hadn't watched this movie in probably, I, I'll say 2013, right before the sequel came out, so I, I'm coming at this one with very fresh eyes. And was surprised by by how much I'd forgotten how well made it is. Like as crazy as the story gets, when it comes to like the technical aspects, and just the command of everything is extremely well done. Yeah, I I think of it as like I I think I I think there's a chip on their shoulder when they came into this movie, <laughs> and I think that they wanted to like punch back at the people that that saw them as as either just the gore hounds of saw that saw became or the failed. Uh, Dead, Dead Silence, Silence <laughs> which I will still say I really enjoy. <laughs> it's it, for, um, for what it is. I will go to to bat for Dead Silence. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think I think this movie had a chip on its shoulder. I think they came out swinging, and to that regard, I feel that that The Conjuring is sort of like their victory lap. Like they're just sort of soaking it in. Um, well, James Wan because Lane Winnell wasn't a part of it, but I think James Wan was just kind of soaking in the afterglow of. Um, because I they what's interesting is that The Conjuring came out the same year as Insidious Two, yeah. like they were within months of each other. Like, I it's it's crazy, but um, yeah, I I will always go to bat for this one over The Conjuring, and that's not to slight The Conjuring. It's just I think this movie is uh I think there's something special underneath it. Lots of people like cheesecake. Lots of people like yeah. different flavors of cheesecake. That doesn't necessarily mean that one slice of cheesecake is worse than the other. Absolutely. I now I'm hungry for cheesecake, so that's what oh, I said. Oh, me too. Um, I have been trying to finish all these episodes by asking a very important question of everybody. Is that right now we're in the thick of it. We keep on hoping that you know we're just weeks away from when everything's being lifted. And at the same time that you get that feeling, you see another article come out saying, oh, people think that it's going to be this long, you know, for, for stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, there's, you know, the stay at home order is going to be extended for just a little bit longer. And 
even if things lift, you know, within the next month or so, you're still going to have, you know, movie theaters being shuttered for a bit. And because it seems like it's the end of June is the first time that you really have new movies come out. So what I've been asking everybody is for three films that you think that people should check out while they're at home. They don't have to be new. They can be ones that you've seen recently that just came out on VOD, or they can be movies that are 30 or 40 years old. But but this is your time to stand on your soapbox and say, hey, you guys have got time. This is definitely a point to check out these films. Oh, I got this. Um, the first one is Bliss by Joe Bagos. Yes, I support it. Okay. Um, punk rock vampires, <laughs> loud, bloody, insane. It's 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 a trip. I love it. Uh, has a, an amazing performance by the lead actress that I am right now completely forgetting what her name is and i apologize for that but she is tremendous in it the movie is tremendous it is it it's just it's cacophony of sound and and imagery and i love it um a completely different movie after midnight um by jeremy gardner and christian stella which also just recently um came out um most romantic creature feature um i've ever seen probably and then a third one would be uh, it's it'll be out by the time this airs. I'm guessing it's Sea Fever. Oh yes, oh, thank you. Like this is three for three. Once again, tell everybody the three titles back to back. Sure, uh, Bliss, um, After Midnight, and Sea Fever. Yes, like like I'm I'm totally in tune with you with all these movies. Uh, and technically, the first two do cross over because uh, it's Dora Madison that we Dora Madison. Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, but Jeremy Gardner, of course, is in is Bliss. also in Bliss, yeah. And then he's the man, the myth, the legend who's in and behind um, after midnight. And Sea Fever has been a movie that, since I saw it at Fantastic Fest last year, have just been talking it up to everyone. And so when it came time to that was a movie that was. Did you guys see that at Panic Fest? I did. That was my first time seeing it. I've been trying to see it. Um the entire time and no one was giving like online screeners for it. And I wasn't able to go to the screenings it was on. And that was honestly, to be perfectly honest, that is the movie that made me go. I got to go to panic fest because it's two hours <laughs> away and I really got to see sea fever because I've been oh, wanting to see it for so long. And it was worth seeing it in the theater, correct? Oh, absolutely. I got to see it with Rebecca fucking McKendrew behind <laughs> me. And so I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this this is this is everything I want it to be. <laughs> when everybody was asking me in like the weeks leading up to Panic Fest, they were like, hey, what are a couple films, you know, to definitely see? And I said, well, first I showed them a, a Facebook message that I sent to uh, Adam Roberts, who's the co-founder of uh, Panic Fest, who's also the owner of Screenland Armor, where they do it. Um, Greg, um, Greg D and Genius McGee of Nightmare Junkhead and sent them a message directly after I saw VFW at Fantastic Fest said, I miss you guys because this is a movie that I need to fucking watch on the big screen Hell with yeah. you guys. And sure enough, got to see it with them at, at Panic Fest. Um, and I was like, that's how excited I am to see it with these people. And then Sea Fever was the one I said, it's a film that you're not sure what it's going to be when you read the description. But go in it because it's basically like people are, are doing a, a science version of aliens slash uh, Leviathan slash mm-hmm. fil- films of that nature. But you have people who are going, OK, we need to look at this as an experiment. We've got an engineer. Yep. We, we've got somebody. So we're going to science it. Let's think of this as a hypothesis. What are the variables? And they're like, wait, so it's it's a cerebral body horror aquatic horror type film and i said yes and that's why people were like i gotta see this i gotta see this 
Yes, it's 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 uh, it's easy to call it like alien on a on a fishing ship, but like it it's it's I don't think it's it's giving it enough due. Um, it yeah. is quite a, a an interesting slow burn paranoia with one absolutely fantastic gore gag oh. um, <laughs> that I just like was I jumped in the theater with i wasn't expecting it um i just i it's a great it's a great film and I, I do love that you have this phd student and this um engineer that are like thinking about it rationally and trying to determine what it is and what how to combat it and i just it's so good it's so good it's a film where people are actually doing the smart things that you always yes. want horror films to do and things are still terrible and things are still terrible but they're trying and they're approaching it from a rational, realistic fashion. And it also felt I rewatched it again uh, this week to write my review because I couldn't get a review out of it out of Fantastic Fest or not. Sorry, Panic Fest, because I was like I saw so many movies and I, I wanted to give it its due. So I couldn't I didn't write a review of it because I there was just too much that I saw. <laughs> so I was sitting at home watching it and I was like, man, this is a very resonant film right now as I'm self quarantining in my house watching this movie <laughs> uh that that would be a trip but no those are are three absolutely fantastic suggestions well thank you now, i thought about it i'm glad i hope so you know i mean you you did your homework so that's what matters <laughs> now let everybody out on the internet know where can they find you know the writings where they can find you on social media sure um so uh you can follow me on twitter i'm at gaily dreadful um, I, my podcast is out wherever you find your podcast. It's called scarred for life. Um, and you can find that on Twitter as well at, at scarred podcast and all of my writing and all of the, my writer's writing is at, uh, gaily Now, is there any specific article that's gone up on the site? Doesn't have to be yours. It can be somebody else's, uh, that you definitely think that people should take the time to read. Sure. If you are a fan of, um, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark, the original series, um, one of my writers, Troy Gardner, has been going through it with um, his his friend um, Aaron each episode. And every season they have had an interview with um, someone that was involved with it. And they just they did one with DJ McHale, who's like the showrunner. And they did one with um, a queer writer that wrote a couple of the ep- episodes um, back in, I think, the early parts of the of the series. And I, it, he's a really good interviewer. And I think that those are some articles you should definitely go check out. Once again, thank you so much for being on this episode. I, I really was excited for the chance to get to talk to you. And then thank you for choosing Insidious because I had a great time revisiting it. Well, thank you for having me on. This was a uh, this was great. I love talking movies, and we'll hopefully have you on again in the future. I would appreciate that. That'd be fun. You can easily find me. Um, my, my writing online is at Boom Howdy. You can follow me on Twitter for the insane things that I'm doing, like trying to figure out what the hell Animal Crossing is at Yo Adrian <laughs> Taurus. It's been a weird experience. I was yelled at by an alt dragon who was having me catch dragonflies and bugs today. Hell yeah, she's awesome. I love Flick. And and Flick <laughs> Flick ended the conversation by saying, "And and now this seals our contract, human." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> it's eight o'clock in the morning. What is happening here?" But yeah, yo, Adrian Tours for that. And then uh, for the show, you can always find us anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, Spotify, maybe a ham radio somewhere, but on Twitter, (laughs) 
we're at Horversary. It sounds exactly like it it is. It's it's spelled very simple. Um, and in these times, as always, stay well and be nice to each other.